0: Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. We're coming to you today from our commercial studio in downtown Vancouver, like we normally do and have done throughout the COVID lockdown. RegWatch is a news organization, and we're deemed to be an essential service. lucky for that. As many of you know, I've recently come back from a quick trip to the U.S. I went down to get married. More on that in coming episodes. And yesterday, I received word from B.C. public health officials that my essential services status carries over into the travel quarantine and we're allowed to broadcast from our main studio. If you have any questions about this, just ping me on Facebook. And now for today's show. Armageddon for the U.S. vaping industry is fast approaching, and all hopes for a reprieve from the Trump administration seem all but dashed. What if anything is happening behind the scenes to save the industry? What will become of the 150,000 jobs, the 11,000 small businesses, and the thousands of manufacturers, and the millions of vapers, when the FDA's PMTA deadline passes on September 9th? Joining us today on RegWatch is Paul Blair, a policy strategist for the conservative-based advocacy group, Americans for Tax Reform. And he's also a vocal supporter of vaping as a tool for harm reduction. Paul, thanks for coming back on RegWatch.
1: Thanks for having
0: me. You bet. So are anti-vaping forces sentencing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, to a painful premature death by smoking? And would you agree with that? And why are they doing it?
1: (laughs) It's not a loaded question at all. yeah I mean, look, what we have seen um, in recent months is no different than than really the evolution of this issue as a policy and a health question over the last ten years, not only in the us um, but globally as well as resources in the tobacco control space and in the well-funded nonprofit space um, have have sort of spread out um, uh, across the world as vaping expanded and as innovation, allowed for um, smokers to look for alternatives as well as consumers experimenting in general. And what we are seeing in the U.S. and I think other countries where there have been market pullbacks as well is the reality that we've all known if, if, for those that work on consumer freedom issues or work on public policy questions, but certainly even vapers who are former smokers know that if you restrict a consumer's access to a product, they're going to go one of two ways or I guess really three, they'll make their own products, they'll get it out in the black market, or they'll go back to what they used to use or enjoy or needed. And what we're seeing in the US uh, is that a lot of vapers, a lot of adult vapers who may have enjoyed access to a lot of products that were on the market until January of this year, um, or are being priced out because of taxes or restrictions on the availability of e-cigarettes generally, are returning to smoking. And so it is not only an unintended consequence that we can just hold harmless those who push these sort of things, but they are genuinely reckless and negligent, those forces that are pushing for an end to the diverse opportunity for consumers to access a wide range of e-cigarettes and vapor products. And the result is and will continue to be higher smoking rates, more death, um, and, and more negative public health net Uh, consequences for everyone across the country and and really globally uh, if this effort expands and people are not given access to these products
0: yeah it's I mean it's a tragedy and certainly they know what the consequences are going to be of their actions before we dive more into that explain for our viewers a little bit about what the Americans for tax reform are is and what you do for them
1: sure so Americans for Tax Reform was started in the 1980s uh, with somewhat of a more limited mission than we've really grown to engage in on policy questions uh, by our founder and president, Grover Norquist. Um, And at the time, uh, our, our focus was largely around federal tax reform, protecting low federal tax rates and ensuring the taxes didn't go up. Um, As part of that effort, we began to uh, do a lot of coalition building, working with other think tanks and nonprofits that shared a limited government, consumer freedom, taxpayer freedom, business freedom perspective, and our mission expanded to uh, engage on state and local issues as well. Uh, and for for my role in particular, um, back I guess now eight or so years or uh, eight or so years ago, I inherited our work on a lot of state excise tax and regulatory issues, and this is when um, e-cigarettes really began to take off, not only in terms of being popular for adult consumers, but as a target for money-hungry legislators that were seeing consumers transition away from heavily taxed cigarettes onto. Uh, lower taxed in most cases, just the sales tax e-cigarettes. And so for us, this started as sort of, uh, you know, we were natural allies in the fight against tax hikes effort. And then um, we take a very political approach to a lot of the policy questions we engage in. And as many of your viewers may know, um, the consumers that use these products feel deeply passionate about them. And so it's always beneficial for a taxpayer advocacy organization to work with consumers and businesses who are willing to um, give a little finger to government when they wanna raise their taxes or shut down their businesses. And that's not always the case on a lot of issues that we work on um, with with other consumer products or other industries, uh, whether it's energy or transportation or healthcare. And so um, a lot of what I do and what I've done over the last couple of years is not only fight efforts to raise taxes on these products, Uh, But also the the bigger threat as it's emerged in the last two years has really been the absolute destruction of the industry overall by trying to ban these products. And so we do a lot of political work, um, the polling of these issues, uh, the coalitions in terms of expanding the tent of people who care about tobacco harm reduction uh, or, or who should care because they're libertarian in nature. Or even if you're progressive in nature and care about the concept of harm reduction generally, and so we do a lot of coalition building around political issues that relate to the policy concerns that we engage in, and uh, that came to a head pretty significantly uh, last year, which I know we've talked we talked about the last time I was on this show, um, but but it is a, a policy issue with a significant political backing and political coalition and political force. Uh, here within the US. And I certainly think we're beginning to see that globally as well as these sort of fights on on taxes and regulations and bans uh,
0: pop up around the world. So why is it such a political issue? I mean, from Trump's side, President Trump's side, we know that you know, he he understands business and he understands, you know, relief for business and he seemed to be quite on board. But obviously, after February, when the White House had uh, issued out that letter with regards to um, the vaping ban, obviously, we ran straight into COVID. So, I mean, is all steam now gone from the White House and the president and their ability to do anything about this? So give us like the give us the insider's view, if you can, of what's happening in Washington right now with regard to PMTA and any kind of potential relief.
1: Yeah, so there are a lot of things going on um, that the administration is focused on. Um, You know, if, if the sort of fight that we had in the fall around banning these products, uh, would have occurred at the same time that there was a national health crisis and pandemic globally and, and concerns about everyone's health in terms of just going outside, um, I think we would have had a much different fight because the attention is a lot more divided. Um, obviously, the preventing a 2008-2009 domestic and global recession or depression has been a significant concern, not only of U.S. regulators, the President, Federal Reserve, but, but global... You know, financial institutions and and countries and companies as well. Um, And so that has its pros and it has its cons, Um, just from a strategy perspective. Obviously, it's all a con that this is something that we have to deal with in terms of the consequences to health and individuals and businesses. But it's hard to get, um, you know, the attention of an administration that is so focused on these big, broad issues that they weren't necessarily having to focus on in the fall of last year when. Impeachment is what really was the top priority and project line of you know the Democrat Party, which we haven't really heard of since February, March of this year. And so, um, you know that that's one way of saying that the administration's general focus on economic stability um, is kind of beneficial, but also kind of distracted from the sort of concerns of businesses that manufacture and sell. E-cigarettes, because this PMTA deadline exists. Obviously, as as viewers may know who are confronted with the reality of having to attempt to go through the PMTA process, the deadline was delayed. And it was delayed because of the COVID shutdown. Now, at the time, of course, we were all told the country would open back up in May. That didn't happen. Um, But the PMTA deadline of September stuck. And so where the questions um, that that businesses are going to have to deal with and that the administration is currently confronted with is how enforcement plays out after September. Um, Of course, uh, the DOJ on behalf of the FDA has already asked for uh, a case-by-case delay of PMTAs or requirements for PMTAs for premium cigar manufacturers who are subject to that same deeming rule. And part of their uh, justification for asking for that delay is to was to focus on enforcement for e-cigarettes, and in particular, flavored e-cigarettes and vapor products some, um, that exist on the market in the U.S. And so, number one, it's an acknowledgment that they don't have all of the enforcement, tools or manpower or resources to go after everyone, which in some sense is probably good. Now, if you're a manufacturer who has attempted to go through the PMTA process or has submitted your applications to the PMTA, that might not be a good thing because you're going to want some of perhaps your uh, non-reputable competitors who are allowed to sell sell products onto the market right now to be removed from the market. And so... The the big question is how the FDA is going to prioritize enforcement against uh, vapor product manufacturers. Whether they do it in a similar way that the Obama administration attempted to by seizing products that were being shipped into the country, and that would largely probably impact hardware manufacturers, um, or whether they take a more aggressive approach and go after big e-liquid manufacturers. Uh, who are producing products within the U.S. Uh, and and I don't think that there will be aggressive enforcement before the election. Um, not only because they they lack the resources and the manpower to immediately go after everyone. Uh, many of your viewers may know that the FDA is pretty slow to respond um, on basic questions. Uh, you know they they send you a letter if they don't like manufacturing or marketing practices, and then maybe they send you another letter. There's not a lot of action. Um, now, if you're a company like Juul, then yeah, everything you do is subject to immediate scrutiny. You might get hateful tweets, um, although those have been kind of slow since Scott Gottlieb left the FDA. Um, but, but really the question that we don't know um, all of the answers to, because I don't know that the FDA or HHS or the Center for Tobacco Products has fully either issue guidance on or really thought about themselves is who they go after, how they focus that enforcement, and whether there's going to be any flexibility for businesses who have attempted to go through the process, but maybe haven't put together that Cadillac version of a PMTA that companies like Philip Morris International were able to put together for their successful attempt to go through the process. And so uh, that is, I think, a long way of suggesting that behind the scenes, I don't think they really know what they want to do or how they want to do it or how they're going to approach it on September 9th. And I wouldn't expect aggressive action after September 9th, unless you have not even attempted to go through the PMTA process. And then, of course, they are within their authority to to seize products. Um, And that's something that they certainly could do.
0: Right. So the idea here is that if you've entered into the PMTA process, you've got some protection potentially uh, from the lack of enforcement this is just drives me crazy because we're talking about the United States of America and we're talking about FDA, which all they do is regulate. I mean, their definition of regulation is FDA. They're the first agency created to regulate. I believe they were created before uh, financial regulations and so forth in the U.S. I mean, they are the first, if they can't get this right. I mean, seriously, there's, isn't there some kind of a duty that agencies have to provide stable regulatory frameworks, in which you yeah. know industries can be on-ramped into regulation this is a shit show
1: yeah and you know when to preview how much of a um, chaotic consequence of the regulation that they even knew was going to exist if you look back to the deeming rule in May of 2016 they expected there to be consolidation. Now, part of that is because if you tell a lot of businesses they have to spend a lot of money to go through a process that they really have no certainty about answers on, some are going to just quit, some are going to sell, some are going to move on. Um, But agencies like the FDA prefer and design regulations to force businesses into a channel where you can pick off um, five, six, ten manufacturers or you know, regulated entities, because it's much easier to go after in the energy space, say, Exxon, or even in the vapor space, Juul, than it is to go after 10,000 individual businesses. Um, and, and that's why you've certainly seen, you know, at least uh, when we were having discussions at the FDA about vapor products and tobacco regulation, that some of the initial targeting was the top five manufacturers, the top five tract um, products in, in stores and in convenience stores. And so um, no federal agency or department is, is really designed or equipped uh, to deal with the regulation of thousands of businesses of varying sizes, especially when some of those markets are online, which um, federal agencies have struggled for, for years to figure out how to regulate or tax those industries. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they, they prefer that there be consolidation. They prefer that they only have to go after and target and threaten and deal with 10 businesses. And we're not there yet. Um, and, and hopefully we don't get there. Um, but, but certainly after September, there will be a widowing of the number of businesses that they have to deal with. But you're absolutely right, which is that, um, the 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 idea that small businesses should have to deal with the regulations that were designed by and for tobacco companies over the course of the decade that led up to 2009 uh, is absurd, and the Tobacco Control Act was not written with that in mind, even among its most ardent defenders in Congress, of which there still are some. Um, and and I think that uh, the FDA hopes that some of these businesses just go away, so they don't have to deal with them. But what they will find uh, is that this is a very innovative industry with people who feel deeply passionate about selling life-saving products to adult smokers. Um, and, And so it's going to be some time before the FDA is able to even attempt to wrap its regulatory arm around the industry in the way in which it has with tobacco companies. Because of course, there are only so few of them. And the Tobacco Control Act essentially made it illegal for new tobacco companies to pop up or exist, similar to what the deeming rule has done. Yeah. Um, yet, yet, so, the,
0: yet the traditional companies they're grandfathered in.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that's the big difference here, which is that it prevented new market entrants while telling them that they retroactively didn't have to go through the same hoops and barriers uh, that that vapor products do and premium cigars as well. But vapor products do um, at, at present. So it's it, it's it's um, really unfortunate that over the last five six years. Uh, we weren't able to uh, come up with a new or different process. Um, a lot of political dynamics at play made that harder. Um, certainly some of them being that there are those that engage on these issues that don't want an easier process to exist because they don't want this industry to exist. Uh, and that is not the easiest thing to deal with because even on like energy issues or healthcare issues, when specific members of Congress have contempt for business practices or individual businesses, they don't go out and say Exxon shouldn't exist or some pharmaceutical company shouldn't exist. What they say is here's a fine for your bad acting. Maybe we'll modernize our regulations so you can't do it again. And thank you for your service and your contribution to our campaign. They don't go after businesses in the same way that they have the vapor industry. um, And and that's been unique as well.
0: And that's an extension of the battle against tobacco, because let's let's be honest, they've 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 created an incarnation of great evil. The tobacco industry is a great evil. It's a cancer on the planet and on human beings. And so, when they believe that they won that battle, which didn't eradicate smoking, it just captured it like the mafia would, and they're extracting their their you know commission, their tribute from it uh, through the MSA. And of course, you know, if you're going to keep continuing to get that MSA dollars, you need to have a certain level of structural smoking uh, to exist. Otherwise, the whole system will collapse. So when they when they captured the tobacco industry. You know, they really felt that they, you know, had slayed a dragon, and I'm wondering if part of the issue with regard to vaping is that they can't possibly allow tobacco, the industry, to redeem themselves because if they become uh, in the life saving business, that I mean, they just can't handle that.
1: Yeah, and it's it's so interesting. Um, I guess to make assumptions about what sort of thought processes go on with these people who. Um, decry the tobacco industry's mere existence, but then push policies that lead to more tobacco product sales. I mean, we are seeing this year a company like Altria, uh, who has you know 43% of the cigarette industry, that estimated earlier this year um, that, and, and as a result, really, of federal policies that came to fruition in January of this year, that they're only going to see 2% declines in cigarette sales as opposed to you know the typical 4 to 6% and and sometimes even greater than that and so part of that is when you remove many of the products that adult smokers purchase in convenience stores, you know, flavored pod-based systems um, and cartridge-based systems from, from, you know, consumers reach, then consumers in many cases, as we're seeing, go back to smoking. And and companies like Altria admit that and they say that's what's happening. And so it's it's these very forces that suggest we have to do everything we can to decimate the tobacco industry, that hand the tobacco industry uh, larger profits and more sales by eliminating their competitors even if those competitors are those that tobacco companies haven't begun to invest in. And so, um, I, you know, I don't know how they continue to defend their policies here. If the destruction of the tobacco industry is their genuine goal because taxes never worked. Um, marketing restrictions never worked. Uh, the tobacco control act only consolidated the number of actors. And certainly we see some average declines over time, But, uh, and again, I don't think that we should be advocating for the destruction of the tobacco industry via public policy. The free market might work that out itself. Um, But it's it's these people who say we have to ban flavored products and continue to raise the age. Now it's 21, you know, in six months, it's gonna be 25 is what they're gonna be pushing for. They already have it in a number of places. Um, And really all that does is consolidate the ability of tobacco companies to make successful sales to consumers. And, you know, good for them. Uh, but it certainly works at cross purposes with the stated goal of public health advocates and tobacco control activists.
0: Now, you're in Washington. You've been there for some time, and you've had some experience with the level of veracity uh, from politicians, lobbyists, and you know public health groups and stuff like that. Have you seen any other issue operate at such a lying, disgusting level as this?
2: <laughs> um
1: It's difficult because this is obviously the new. Mm. um issue and usually the way that these sort of intense fights play out is that each party takes a side and so we're seeing this fight on like the post office right now in the u.s which democrats have created you know some conspiracy theory that republicans want to defund the post office in the u.s because we don't want people to vote by mail or something um and so each side takes a side and we all yell at each other and things do happen for better or worse on vaping Um, you know, we continue to struggle to, um, you know, politicize this in a way that is advantageous. I think certainly with Trump, it was helpful, but, you know, we're still fighting, um, a a bill that, that is essentially a slippery slope to banning the sale and delivery of e-cigarettes to adults online. And that's legislation that soared through the house and the Senate by voice vote without a hearing. Um, and at any time, if you know Congress got its act together, uh they would essentially ban u s p s from shipping these products to to adult consumers and so um you know it's been a very difficult issue, I think that in the environmental and energy space, you see some of this um in terms of folks being on you know the pro alternatives and subsidize it and you know do everything to move in that direction space versus the hey in order for the lights to stay on you might have to have some fossil fuels just ask california who's not allowed to have lights or air conditioning right now um, so there, there's some of it in the energy and environmental space but but as vicious as this has been um it's a lot harder to lie when you've been engaged in a debate with people for 20 or 30 years which you see on the sort of environmental and energy issues On vaping, as you know, these people come up with new lies every single day, and the mainstream press, in many cases, refuses to challenge it. We've seen this around um, some of the initial debates over whether uh, vaping and smoking were going to result in higher rates of COVID. Even most recently, we've now got academic institutions... Basing studies on two or three consumers um, or or teenagers using these products, suggesting it makes you more likely to get covid and it 's just the lack of of fact checking and and uh, people in politics saying, "Are you serious? This is a joke um, is is i think unique and new in a way that does not exist with other public policy questions in the same way
0: fair enough um, let 's jump over to your site here. This is a article from back on September 18th. So this is just mere weeks after the CDC launched their, uh, well, their campaign to destroy vaping through what they ended up terming E-Valley, which is a vaping-related lung illness. And a Trump ban on flavored e-cigarettes will cost him the 2020 election data on 12 important swing states. Now, Paul, you know, walk us through a little bit of this because you you and your team and your people were quite the hero when this stuff uh, came out because it really demonstrated that there could be um, some relief with Trump if you reach him and let him know that they that we vape we vote means something and could impact the election. Talk us through what happened there.
1: So it seems like it was ten years ago, <laughs> uh, not one year ago. This has been the True. longest year uh, in in global yeah. history. Um, but looking back to that time, um, you know we knew based on work that we had done in the states that this was a a deeply personal and therefore political issue for a lot of consumers across the country. We also knew that the CDC every single year releases behavioral surveillance data on the number of adults that use these products. Uh, And we also had 2016 election results. And and so the argument that we made at the time, and certainly the argument that we're making to the Trump campaign today, is that... um, this is a voter constituency that you need to consider an important element of of your coalition or a part of a coalition you lose Uh, because as we argued at the time in a state like michigan which it was a year ago maybe last week where uh gretchen whitmer engaged in this sort of fight by being the first governor to implement a nationwide ban or a statewide ban uh, the executive order because of the fake and volley crisis. We argued that, you know, Trump won Michigan by 10,000 plus votes uh, around that. And at the time he won the state of Michigan, there were more than 420,000 adult papers. And so even if you think that uh, there are some health concerns that should be investigated, to immediately jump to prohibition is a political disaster. And I think that that argument resonated with the White House um, in a way in which they had not necessarily thought about this issue when Secretary Alex Azar brought it to them uh, in in September of last year, and you know to the point of why that matters to this day. Um, you know, all hope isn't lost in terms of this still being a politically important issue after November. I would say that uh, I wish. Democrats were more receptive uh, nationally to the benefit of tobacco harm reduction because this is a huge voter constituency for them. Based on the polling uh, that the Vapor Technology Association did um, in, in October of 2019, uh, we know that in battleground states, many adult consumers that use these products are more right-leaning, more favorable to Donald Trump, this is the case for businesses and consumers, than generic Democrats. And so that's not to suggest that I think vapors are, are more Republican everywhere. It certainly may not be the case in Massachusetts, where Governor Republican Charlie Baker is a banned flavored products. But it is to suggest that Democrats are really missing an opportunity here to win voters who otherwise are Republican in many cases, including in states like Texas and Florida, Arizona, so on and so forth. And so, yes, I'm right of center politically. And the argument that we made to Trump was don't blow the election by throwing 13 million votes away. But there still is an opportunity, I think, for, for um our progressive friends, to acknowledge and recognize they could win votes away from us if they pointed out that the real monsters here are are within the public health complex that exists within the Trump administration. They are people like Senator Mitt Romney. They're people like Charlie Baker. Um, And and so I I don't think that we have lost this as a political issue, because as you know, um, talking to adult consumers and business owners in this space they're no less motivated to try to save lives through this innovation and through the existence of this product today than they were a year ago they just don't have a lot of certainty about what they can do to fight for their ability to continue you know to preach tobacco harm reduction via e-cigarettes and vapor products and so um, I, it will be very interesting to see what happens between September night up through election day and then I do think that after the election, depending on what happens, um, the country's going to take a very significant uh, different path based on who wins. I, I, I would not have a lot of confidence in the Biden administration that's going to take direction from the Bloomberg health world um, to to be a savior for this industry because again, he's already promised essentially to eliminate this industry despite knowing what Trump knew six months afterwards. He promised this after he knew that eVali was based on marijuana and not on nicotine. Um, and and so we really are in for uh, a gruesome awakening when it comes to what the FDA can do and will do after November if Joe Biden wins, right. um, only because going back to my earlier points about enforcement discretion, they have the ability to engage in a sort of aggressive enforcement that they did when, by the way, Joe Biden was vice president of the United States.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, this yeah, this did come in when he was vice president, but you know, vice presidents don't generally do too much. Let's do a little flashback Certainly. to Certainly. It, true. Let's do a little flashback uh, to the Washington D.C. rally last year, and of course, there's another rally coming up. Uh, what is it? Oh God, I should have the date on me here. Tristan's gonna kill me. Um, it's coming up in early September. I think it's the fifth. Yep. Cindy, can you please check that for me and then text me uh, what the date is uh, for that. Let's just jump, uh, we've, we've got some sound bites I want to play. Um, there might be some things that you've said already, but, the, but this is back then and like, I want to get your thoughts now. Now, after September 11th, when the president came out with that announcement, if you could call it that, mostly it was comment. Yeah. Um, your organization and you specifically really made a difference in the debate on this nationally.
2: I hope that's the case. Um, Look, that was the first all-nighter I've pulled since maybe junior year of college and what i did that night was looked at the fda data that we had from 2016 and 2017 that showed on a state-by-state level how many people how many adults use e-cigarettes and what i did is looked in every single one of those states that the president is targeting next year um, 12 states is what we originally looked at states like minnesota michigan pennsylvania florida uh, states that that determine who's going to win Um, and broke down the number of adult vapors in every single one of those states based on FDA data and laid it out for the administration, laid it out for everyone publicly to understand that in all of those important battleground states, the margin uh, of victory or loss for Donald Trump in 2016 pales in comparison to the number of adults that use these products. Small example, a state like Michigan, where vapors are currently dealing with an absurd fight against the governor. Donald Trump only won Michigan by a little over 10,000 700 votes. In the state of Michigan, there are more than 400,000 adult vapers. And so our argument to the administration and the campaign was, look, these are single issue voters on the the issue that will determine who they vote for next year. There are a lot of them and they can swing the election in a couple of states. And for people that don't vape or people that don't smoke or or don't follow this issue, it might sound kind of funny. Why would a vapor care that much about about, uh, access to these products? Why can't they just get a tobacco flavored product? And I think there are people in the administration that thought that, but the polling was compelling. Adults like flavors, they like access to flavors, and not only do they like them, they need them to stay away from cigarettes. And so we began making, I think, what was a compelling case, not only on the politics of vaping for consumers that use them, but also on the jobs, the number of new businesses that did not exist more than 10 years ago that exist in important swing states to the administration and the campaign.
0: the question that I've got for you, uh, after hearing that and some of that, you're good, you're polished because you, you know, <laughs> you're very polished, my friend. So my question for you is this: is that with COVID and what it's done to the economy and to people, and 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 it's everything has gotten just even so much more, you know, heated. Do you think that the single issue voter is now uh, a, a vapor like that vapor who's going to single issue vote on vaping? Do you think that's been watered down? Like, is we vape we vote? no longer now the issue even for diehard vapors, because obviously there's other things going on that take precedent, even for some BLM.
1: Yeah, I think it's a valid question. And what I would suggest is that in 2016, when ATR first did polling on the intensity of beliefs among vapor voters, they were essentially the exact same as they were in October of 2019 when VTA did polling with Trump pollster John McLaughlin and so that's over a three-year period after an election a lot of significant policy issues occurring between you know october of 2016 a month before the presidential election and october of 2019 in the midst of a national impeachment um and and so on one hand we have seen some consistency across elections in the intensity of beliefs among adults that use these products on the other hand uh it's certainly a valid question to ask on whether mandating that the entire country remain shut down forever until there's a vaccine and maybe until after that as well and not allowing people to go to schools and not allowing people to sell products or businesses is a far more important concern to consumers and businesses. And to some degree, it probably is. Um, But at the end of the day, because we know um, and because vapors attribute their use of e-cigarettes to saving their lives, it is still a life and death decision, um, and, an issue for them. And so, yes, we're talking about life or death in the midst of a pandemic, but for many adult vapors and the businesses that sell these products, it's been a life or death issue since day one. And that's why so many of them, it's why 75% of them view this as the most important issue to them. Because once we get past this COVID-19 situation, they're still going to need access to reduce, reduce risk alternatives to cigarettes, which kill which have killed um, and will have killed uh, four times as many people in the U S than COVID-19 um, uh, maybe three times at this point, but you get the point. Um, in, and so, in one year,
0: in one year, yeah, it's a year in, after in one year. year. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so, yes, I, I, I think that um, for many vapors, it will still be an extremely important issue for them. And what I've suggested to the Trump campaign is that they need a signal. They need something that he's their guy. Because Joe Biden certainly is not. Um, Again, if I'm taking somewhat of a pessimistic view, um, he's not their guy. There's no reason to believe that Joe Biden will be less aggressive than Donald Trump was in September of 2019 because he's promised to eliminate the industry, has not been receptive to tobacco harm reduction generally, has not been an ally. Uh, Whereas at least we were able to convince Trump to not go full stupid, um, just (laughs) stupid. Um, So so I think that really where there's an issue for a lot of vapors is – why they should be motivated to help elect Donald Trump um, in November. And I don't think the campaign has given them a reason yet uh, to do that. And my hope is that whether it's through discretion and enforcement guidance, uh, or an openness to expedite the review of products as they come before the FDA. These are all the sort of announcements the administration could make any time before the election and would make sense and be logical. It's the sort of stuff they're doing with cigars right now. Um, those are the sort of signals that I think would be helpful in terms of letting vapors and vape shop owners and vapor product manufacturers know that Trump is their guy. He's imperfect, uh, but he's better than the alternative. And, and that's what we're waiting for. And that's what we're working on. And that's what we're pushing for within the campaign in the White House right now.
0: Please, Mr. President, send up some smoke signals. To- exactly. All exactly. Right. So let's jump back to uh, January of this year. You were our first guest on in 2020. And again, that seems like eons ago. Yeah, I mean, so it really will- Yeah, absolutely. So we've, we've pulled two bites. Again, some of the stuff in here you'll probably have already said, some of it not. Let's just jump in and take a listen.
1: You certainly would love for him to spend more time explaining that. The sort of vaping that's gotten people sick is THC black market products and not nicotine products that you buy in vape shops or convenience stores. But I honestly think that's the best we could have gotten uh, from anyone in his position with a recognition that he is the first president ever to acknowledge the importance of tobacco harm reduction, both in a tweet on September 13th and numerous times since those September conversations began. And he has both said that he likes vaping as an alternative to smoking for adults, and that it's a huge health advantage that if a smoker transitions to these products, it's good for them. I don't think we're going to get better than that in terms of his understanding or acknowledgement of these issues. And it's far better than Barack Obama ever gave a former smoker who initiated this entire process with the deeming rule. And it's better than I think we're going to get from any Democrat running for president, nearly all of which has said that they would support a full-scale ban on these products if they were elected in 2020.
0: And that is exactly the case and what you've been saying. Talk to us a little bit about this letter that came out, and I'll throw it up on the screen, because the letter from the White House on February 27th was really a hallmark uh, message coming from this administration. If only they could, you know, go back to that and, and, you know, channel it. Sorry.
1: Um sorry, I, I thought you were going to read from the letter there. Um,
0: All right, well, I'm going to I'm so going to pull it up. Sorry.
1: Cool. So, yeah, I mean, look, we um had I think a lot of, of hope that with the delay of the PMTA deadline, um uh that that we were moving, you know, right in the right direction and and that occurred around the same time that the administration came out uh, opposed to federal legislation that will be a real risk in 2021, and that is H.R. 2339. This is the Frank Pallone bill um, that would ban all menthol cigarettes and all flavored e-cigarettes. And the administration came out opposed, um, saying that they uh, believed that it harmed our efforts to achieve tobacco harm reduction, uh, that they had already done Tobacco 21 to address some of the concerns by Uh, the author and proponents of the bill. And again, this passed the House of Representatives and the administration came out and said, even though there was no way it was going to get considered in the Senate, uh, that they were opposed, that if it ever hit the president's desk, uh, he would uh, veto the bill. Uh, That was um, a a very important acknowledgement that the, the tobacco harm reduction conversation resonated with the White House, that they understand the importance of preserving these products. And that they understand a process is in place that addresses the concerns of advocates of that bill. And the process isn't perfect. It's obviously still going to result in and many businesses closing down. Um, it is the regulatory hand that they were dealt and one that they didn't you know, swap out cards for. Uh, but the president's opposition to the Pallone bill, especially if he is reelected in November, uh, is extremely important because one of the reasons that uh, the Senate and House bill that bans USPS from shipping e-cigarettes to adults and requires point of delivery age verification is not passed the House of democrat uh, the House of Representatives run by Democrats is because Frank Pallone has insisted that his bill is the bill that goes to the president, whether it's Joe Biden or someone else and they're hoping that they obviously win the Senate in November and so they have allowed you know tinkering around the edges to be the enemy of perfect prohibition. Uh, And we know that Donald Trump opposes that bill because he said so in a letter that was released publicly saying that it works at cross purposes with the effort to reduce the harm associated with cigarette use. And so um, it was an important indicator uh, of of where he will be next year if this bill ever does hit his desk, but certainly that he's willing to put pen to paper on an acknowledgement these products have to exist to get consumers off of
0: cigarettes. Yeah, and it was an important move. Let's uh, pick up one last bite from your January appearance, and this gets into some of the politics which we've already touched on.
1: When it comes to Democrats, what has always baffled me, having worked on this for the last six, seven years, is that traditionally, uh, the Democrat Party has embraced the concept of harm reduction. It was the Republican Party, and many within right of center political circles, that had questions or concerns about the government's role in promoting harm reduction. Um, Things like needle exchanges, Um, the whole concept of harm reduction originated out of places like San Francisco and big cities like New York. Um, And it was the Democrat Party that embraced it. It hasn't been until recently that in places like Indiana, when Mike Pence was president and the current Surgeon General, who was the top health professional in Indiana under governor, pushed a needle exchange program to deal with an outbreak of illnesses because people were sharing dirty needles. Um, and so my, you know, it's odd that we've got this, uh, harm reduction flop as it relates to the parties, because we, many Republicans embrace the harm reduction potential of e-cigarettes. Um, and most Democrats rejected and they rejected at the same time that they embrace marijuana, not for recre, not for medicinal purposes, but for fun. Um, and so I would love for more Democrats to join the sensible uh, crusade for regulatory relief uh, and and sanity as it relates to vaping. But for the last six years, um, in many cases, uh, our, our enemies on these questions have been left of
0: center politically. So it really does seem that the left, the Democrats, the progressives, they've lost the plot.
1: Yeah, I, look, I, I want to have some Optimism sure. for them coming around on the question of tobacco harm reduction. I just have no reason to believe that they ever will, because of how they have um, uh, responded to basic questions um, uh, about you know the businesses that sell these products, and they're never going to get beyond the availability of flavors. They're never going to get beyond youth experimentation and and again these are things that for some reason doesn't matter to them on marijuana questions where you can get you know wowie edibles in Denver or Washington and you know whatever your position on those questions are they don't have they're on stage in protest and yelling at those companies um, because it's legal um, and and so they they really have not uh, even indicated an openness in a helpful way to there being a diverse marketplace Um, which look i mean if if their true intent is taking down tobacco companies and destroying their business model and destroying their existence um the vaping industry is nowhere the same size as the overall tobacco industry is part of the reason you've seen tobacco companies get into the vapor space and the reduced risk product space Um, but they would embrace you know, entrepreneurship and innovation here, um, as opposed to traditional models that, uh, you know, have led to consolidated, you know, opportunities for businesses that continue to sell cigarettes. And so I don't know if there is ever going to be a breaking point where they come to their senses on this. And this is again, not to suggest that Republicans are always or often right on this. It's really just that the only time we've ever been able to get relief, it's with the Republicans, even when sure. we've had to, stab them and yell at them for a long time, like we did last fall. Um, but I, I just I, I it is unfortunate uh, that that Democrats are really the the enemy of sensible policies when it comes to tobacco harm reduction, taxes and regulations generally at the state, local, national, international level.
0: Sure. Now, let me ask you this. I mean, Democrats have been pushing for universal health care. What do you think would happen to the nicotine vaping industry if we see universal healthcare in the United States, so wouldn't e-cigarettes save on healthcare costs? So let's pick a something that's you know dear to their hearts, and could we not be making an argument there that you know if you had universal healthcare and and all that kind of stuff, this really saves money. It's not only saves lives, but it saves money.
1: Yeah, I mean, look if. You're looking at Europe, for example, as a model for why I think public health institutions have embraced tobacco harm reduction, in public health England, the world, college of physicians um, and part of it uh, other than actually being sane on some scientific questions um, is that there are savings involved. The reason hospitals give it out they save money at the end of the day if there's less smokers coming in with all the issues associated with uh, cigarette use over over a you know lifetime. Um, I would suggest that we're never going to have universal healthcare in the United States because it's way too expensive. Um, but uh, you're right. I mean, people like Bernie Sanders should take a look at this question and say, you know, maybe if we're going to reduce the cost ledger on things like providing everyone healthcare, we should look at the you know millions of people that use known deadly products. And if there's an alternative, you know, in his mind, subsidize. I'd certainly just say let it be out there for. Affordable market-based prices, but um, I, I think it's it's a wedge point to make um, because again, there are significant healthcare savings associated with with adult smokers transitioning, um, and and maybe some of our friends on the left that are open to this subject can can make that point. As I am over here saying, let's never do Medicare for all or things like that.
0: Right. Let me ask you this. I mean, certainly when it comes because we're we're talking politics here because there's a clear side that, you know, is hell bent on destroying this industry. And so I don't need to take a political position and just I'm just reporting uh, the facts. And, you know, why? Why is it that they seem that they've got no problem with cannabis and specifically cannabis vaping? Because that's like the silver bullet for cannabis uh, is really the vape pen. And there's not a peep out of it. And we know that obviously it was contaminated uh, vape cartridges on the black market cannabis vape cartridges that caused the problem with e valley they refused to acknowledge it so what is it going on I, i'm asking in a channel you know a progressive brain if you can because i can't
1: yeah <laughs> yeah look i mean you know in defense of there still being stupidity among democrats on that question sure um it took them a long time to come around on questions of Recreational and in some cases medical marijuana being available in states like Colorado, among others, it was largely voter initiatives that led to recreational marijuana being legal. Because Democrats in those states um, didn't want to let it happen, it, it wasn't until there was an acknowledgement there was a significant voter constituency where a majority opinion had changed on marijuana questions um, in in the direction of legality that so many states had run in that direction. I think that's why we're going to see more. Right-leaning states and Republican states embrace medical marijuana and maybe even recreational marijuana uh, because voter opinions have changed on that. Right. Where there's difference here, where there's a difference here is that we have intense passion and belief among consumers that use these products. But if I'm going to give Matt Myers some credit here, the general public, um, not understanding this industry, being lied to every day by the press reading every fake academic story, um, you know, written by discredited uh, professors uh, and their assistants. um, Funded by uh,
0: the federal government.
1: Funded, Yeah, by the federal government. um, uh, You know, continue to put out lies about how dangerous these products are and how they'll give you COVID or they're worse than cigarettes. And so um, there's not a majoritarian opinion here that could compel either democrats or republicans to set aside their predisposed notions about this industry and say yeah maybe this is a good idea because it has to be a good one a good one politically so right. it is going to take advocates of tobacco harm reduction changing minds you got to win hearts win win hearts and minds here um, and you know people telling their life saving story is certainly part of it the facts are certainly part of it true and reputable credible science is part of it but that's where we've got that big divide, which is that they, were, they came around on marijuana because polling really began to suggest it. We don't have that um, in terms of non-consumer voters having a strength of opinion about these issues, even though we know that there's a significant number of consumers that have strong opinions on this and they can influence the outcome of elections. But that's really I think where the where the big difference is.
0: There was a short period there, sometime after 2016, the window might have been three or four months, maybe half a year or a year. Yeah. Where there yeah. was an, there was an uptick in in public opinion, but that's been destroyed. They've they've systematically destroyed the virtues of vaping. Any of the virtue that was there to vape has now been destroyed. Um, and so it's going to be hard. And you make a good point with regard to how cannabis, you know, wound, wound its way to become legal in many states. So they were ballot initiatives by actual voters. It'd be impossible to throw a ballot initiative together to legalize nicotine vaping. I mean, you no, know, yeah. it's impossible to do that. Let me you, you mentioned the disinformation, um, the mendacity. Uh, I use the word lie because I can. This is the Internet, so I can say people lie. Um, but here's here's one of the best examples of an organization that um does a lot of lying
2: times during class and i tell her do you talk to him and it's like oh. ew
3: yeah.
0: Yay. So that's a pretty strong message. That's a real cost. So that's the FDA's campaign. That's a part of their five-year $650 million advertising effort. I mean, how you can, and that's just FDA. That's not Bloomberg's yeah. $160 million. That's not Truth Initiative. I mean, this is just a massive onslaught that just, you know, destroy the virtues of vaping, destroy the industry. So if nicotine is so addictive that, as the FDA is saying there, why, why during COVID were we not exposed to tons of stories from parents demonstrating their kids having this nicotine addiction? There's not a single story that came out, not one research paper, not even from you know Stanton Glantz, fake research mail, nothing from PAVE, nothing from Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids or Truth, nothing. They couldn't gin up one story in the Washington Post or Buzzfeed or anything highlighting a teenager Who's suffering nicotine withdrawal, the audacity for them to come out at the end of August, this is their new campaign, to hit this nicotine addiction with kids, it's so terrible. Well, where were the kids struggling with their nicotine addiction in five months in lockdown?
1: Yeah, it's a phenomenal question. Um, and, you know, the, the reality is that what is addicting to teens is curiosity and experimentation and doing things you're told not to do. Um, you know, certainly nicotine has addictive properties and and no one is a, you know, a, a denier of the sort of, you know, chemical uh, effects of nicotine on the human brain, adolescent or adult or otherwise. Uh, but you're absolutely right. I mean, if we genuinely had this crisis of, of addiction, um, you would expect to hear a lot more uh, suburban moms running to their local papers about how little Johnny hasn't been able to focus on homeschooling or, or I don't know, whatever kids do during the summer when they're locked inside, um, because he's, you know, been hitting the vape pen. And, um, you know, what's interesting is, is what happens long-term when kids don't have access to their friends or mischievous peers who allow them to every once in a while experiment with e-cigarettes. Um, that, that's where I think there are some real interesting questions that we may see only after this fall and maybe spring of next year, when you know, the sort of behavioral surveillance sur- surveys start again. Um, but to, to treat, uh, occasional experimentation as a, a health crisis and, you know, this, this addiction epidemic is absurd. And I think it also demonstrates, um, how out of touch FDA bureaucrats are with the sort of harm that they're actually causing running ads like that is why teenagers are interested in experimenting with e-cigarettes and vapor products. Running all of those television ads on MTV and every other network that has a you know demographic, target demographic of under the age of twenty-one, um, putting up those stupid posters in bathrooms, having educational seminars with administrators, all the sort of things that you know treat this as this horrible behavior are the reason kids experiment. And um, you know, say nothing of, of those that continue or go on to potentially use the products regularly, uh, which is not as significant as they make it out to be. But it, they're really to, to blame for experimentation because they made it cool to do bad things. Um, and ads like that really are, are really part of the problem that that ignore um, how how absurd we treat um, experimentation and curiosity as opposed to differentiating it between true addiction. And not only true addiction, because you're addicted to something, but the health consequences are insignificant. Um, Differentiating between levels of addiction and the products that you're addicted to, uh, failing to acknowledge that is 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 really why we we continue to see such stupidity uh, in the science and in the press and among you know general people's perception of of the industry and the existence of these products.
0: Right, and we just I've just put up here uh, perverse psychology. How Anti-Vaping Campaigners Helped Create the Youth Vaping Epidemic by Michelle Minton, uh, your colleague, our great friend here at Rugwatch. And uh, fantastic. You can find that on our site and, and it's a great read. So we're Absolutely. we're yeah, moving into our wrap up mode here, but a couple more things. One, there was some positive uh, news coming out uh, by uh, Mr. Steve Forbes. Why don't you just brief who he is, but you know, don't say what he said. And then we're going to play the clip. Sure. So uh,
1: Forbes is a great publication. Um, Steve Forbes, the head of, of Forbes, who occasionally writes, um, uh, you know, uh, advisor to Republicans in a wide range of economic issues, um, tax policy, regulatory policy. But uh, Forbes uh, magazine, um, also online, is, is a publication that he runs. Uh, and he has now dabbled um, in, in the tobacco and tobacco harm reduction question in space. Um, but very reputable guy. Uh, you know, great on economic issues, engages on a lot of deregulatory issues uh, as well. Not a consumer to my knowledge, um, uh, I, I don't think he smokes, I don't think he vapes, maybe he smokes cigars, because who doesn't? But right. um, yeah, he recently has now uh, engaged on this issue.
3: All right, let's take a look. Should electronic cigarettes be banned? No. In fact, vaping should be encouraged for cigarette smokers. Hello, I'm Steve Forbes, and this is What's Ahead, where you get the insights you need to better navigate these turbulent times. Before the COVID-19 crisis dominated our lives, U.S. healthcare care authorities and others were waging a relentless publicity war against electronic cigarettes or vaping. While not in the headlines for now, the anti-vaping forces are still at it. They have already succeeded in persuading countless numbers of people that e-cigarettes are as dangerous or more dangerous than traditional tobacco products. Now let's be clear, we shouldn't be ingesting smoke from tobacco, marijuana, or vaping devices into our lungs. And of course, any kind of smoking could well make the getting of COVID-19 even more disastrous for people, including young people. Shockingly, the campaign against vaping has been based on a mountain of misinformation and outright lies. In fact, by persuading smokers not to switch to e-cigarettes, these authorities are consigning hundreds of thousands of people to unnecessarily premature deaths. That is, more Americans will die as a result of this misbegotten crusade than from the COVID-19 disease itself. Let's look at the facts. E-cigarettes do not contain tobacco. They let users inhale nicotine, but not the deadly substances of tobacco. Vaping is the safest, most effective alternative to smoking tobacco. That's why British health care officials have taken the opposite tact. They encourage smokers to switch to vaping. Anti-vaping forces in America point to the surge in recent years of vaping among young people, especially teenagers, implying this is a gateway to using cigarettes. The truth is the opposite. The rate of cigarette smoking among young people in the past decade has plunged from almost 16% to under 6%. Last year, we were inundated with stories of people getting lung diseases from vaping, numbering 450 cases. Five died. Turns out most of these people had used illicit vapors, not the kind e-cigarette manufacturers were selling to ingest a form of marijuana that contained an acetate used in topical skin lotions. Despite the truth about e-cigarettes, anti-vaping forces pressured the FDA to ban flavored vaping liquids. This is but a stepping stone to an outright prohibition of vaping. It should be of no surprise that tobacco companies and makers of nicotine patches, chewing gums and other stop smoking aids would take a dim view of e-cigarettes. But e-cigarettes are significantly less harmful than traditional smokes. Let's stop these deadly anti-vaping campaigns and inhale the healthy example of Britain.
0: Wow. Wow, wow, wow.
3: I couldn't have said it better.
1: (laughs) Uh, uh, Yes, look, I mean, it it is um, for a guy that ran for president in 96 and 2000, flat tax is really his big thing back then. Um, You know, he's obviously a, a credible, reputable, voice on on policy issues and questions again his, his website magazine publications also fantastic um, i've written a couple of articles there i know that some of your viewers probably have written or read a lot of stuff there as well uh, but but he's right on and and look i mean i think this is an example of of where we are are building new allies um, and expanding the tent of advocates for these these questions, certainly I, I I would consider Steve Forbes a natural ally on these questions. I mean he's a low tax, deregulatory guy, uh, but the more voices like his that we have engaging uh, on tobacco harm reduction, uh, you know, fights and and policies and disputes, I think it's it's phenomenally helpful. And he hit the nail on the head with many of his points, uh, you know, about this issue and framing it um, as, as one for, for, you know, why it's significant, why it's engaged and why anyone should care.
0: Sure. I mean, to, to, I mean, he did run for president twice, um, for the GOP, but he was, he was always a little bit more of the center guy. That was probably a little bit of an issue for him. I think that he's probably a bit more of a, of a progressive Republican, much like a Mitt Romney may be, but he's, but he's, he's not obviously not putting his own morals on the way people live and should live and stuff like that. I always found that about him to be the case. But he always felt to me a a little bit more on the progressive side, which you can be progressive Republican, too, as well. But his his thing went for him to actually say anti vaping forces, the deadly anti vaping forces. I mean, these are exactly the kind of language that the industry and the advocacy uh, community uses. I think that if you're a vapor and you're watching this and you've seen this, I think it behooves you to send a very short email to, or or something over social media thanking Steve Forbes for using this kind of language and for support. Do not write a big, long story, you know, thing about how vaping completely saved your life. And it's you know 10 paragraphs. It's just short, um, you know, to, to give, reinforce um, his position and to thank him for it. And I think that, if he got, you know, 500, you know, messages or even a couple hundred, something like that, but something like that, I think that would go a long way to, to really communicate to him that he's, re, he's really doing something. He obviously yeah, knows. Yeah, he knows he's doing something right here. I think the community should probably reach out to him and let him know that they've heard him and they want to thank him for that and encourage him to continue doing that. Let me ask you this. This has been a long and tiresome fight for so many people. You have to imagine that you pile COVID on top of this, the people are just done. I mean, businesses are done. I mean, you know, small businesses at first started dropping off when the releases were coming up. We've got major companies right now that are going to be either shutting down or forced to move into a gray market um, and that kind of thing. I mean, isn't this just over?
1: it's difficult because i know um having spoken to a lot of businesses that uh applied for loans from the government that uh don't know about what sort of products are going to be available after september if they're not a manufacturer um that that confidence is probably at an all time low um you know certainly i think after may of 2016 there was a lot of concern about what the future would look like but people weren't shutting down people weren't closing their businesses because of regulatory uncertainty or this economic crisis. Um, uh, I'm not generally the the closer on optimism here, but I I think that we are seeing some return to normal when it comes to consumer confidence and spending. Certainly the market has restabilized a little bit. We're not through it, but I, I think that, that after November, um, assuming that there's not a resurgence of, of the virus uh, in terms of a second wave or the sort of concerns that people have echoed about what might happen if we don't have a vaccine before the fall. Um, you know, the the spirit of, of entrepreneurs in this country and certainly globally um, always overcomes sort of obstacles, even if they're short-term um, or long-term. And, and I think that there certainly are gonna be some losers in this equation people that are put out of business because of government stupidity both in terms of the handling of this health crisis but also because of regulations that should have been adapted to acknowledge the diversity of this industry some people are going to end up on the losing side of an equation um and and some might be more than a handful Uh, i think consumers have to understand that at the end of the day there are going to be products in the market Um, there are businesses that are going to get flavored products through the process uh, that will be on the market for at least another year. The FDA is not under any administration going to wipe the entire market of all flavored products that exist. Now, whether your preferred product that you get at your local vape shop is available, that may not be the case. Um, But the government is not going to take such a dramatic step as to remove all products from the market quickly. Um, Because even though we haven't been able to convince Joe Biden to be open-minded to this, even if he wins, um, I, I, they're, they're going to be focused on a lot of other stupid and silly things. Um, but if they're not, certainly we'll have to re-energize folks to, to fight again. And I would just say that, um, for vapors, especially those who have been involved in this for the last more than five years, the fight is never going to end. There are people and there are resources available to ensure that until prohibition is successful, they will never stop. They haven't for tobacco, even after the Tobacco Control Act passed and they signed off on it, and they won't for vapor. Um, they will not, and they they will not give up. And so um, acknowledging how important this is to the health of consumers that use these products, um, you've know, you you've got to understand that your fight for your own health and your own life uh, in terms of access to these products has to continue to transition into political activism whether republican or democrat doesn't matter but has to continue to transition to political activism and uh at the end of the day um you know things may be different but they'll be okay
0: well if they weren't different they wouldn't be the same or if they wouldn't be the same they wouldn't be different that's yeah. this crazy world we live in paul thank you so yeah. much for coming back on the show
1: absolutely thanks for having
0: me oh you bet thanks for that and just stay right there and that is it for this edition of Watch. Before you head off, please go over to support.regulatorwatch.com. That's support.regulatorwatch.com and consider making a financial contribution to our vaping coverage. We're also running a Facebook fundraiser for our fall fight. And uh, you can find us on Facebook there and give us a few bucks. It'd be great. And while you're online, please do like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. For regulatorwatch.com, I'm Brent Stafford.